Mindset Athlete Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. I'm a two-time Paralympian and owner of James Robert Fitness, which is an online training, nutrition, and mindset coaching business. First of all, I'd like to thank Lauren Williams for suggesting this quote to the show. An athlete is a mindset. It's how you prepare, think, and execute. Not because of some elite status or physical stature. Anybody can be an athlete. By Chris Hoth. And each week on The Mindset Athlete, we like to bring you inspirational athletes, a message, or experts talking about human optimization to teach you how to change your perception of your mindset and become 1% better. And on today's show, I've got Tyrick Moore. Tyrick is the president of Handel Group's Diversity and also president of Handel's Group's Sports Division. Tyrick joined the Handel team to lead the sports division. He has over 20 years of management and business experience in both public and private sectors. He supports sports industry professionals in maximizing potential by raising their potential integrity. Tarek believes when everyone is holding themselves accountable and an entire organization is in alignment, the results are profound and extraordinary. Tarek has also been an entrepreneur and a trailblazer since 2006. His firms have provided resources to private, non-profit and educational institutions. He has always been driven by a deep desire to help live inspired and fulfilled lives. He believes happiness trumps all things in life. Positive perspective and dedication to embracing the journey more than the destination is paramount to achieving fulfillment. Some of his top professional speaking appearances have included Viacom, Def Jam, Live Nation, Camp Empowerment and Digi Inspired. So welcome onto the show Tariq. Thank you for having me, James. Oh, the pleasure is absolutely mine. And obviously, as we would, this is this is something unique. I've never gone straight into a show like this, but I think we needed to because we were we were dropping some nuggets straight away. But ultimately, to give some context to the listeners of what we were talking about, we were talking about very much of diversity and inclusion and looking at the component of. And I'll give us some exclusive because it's to people that listen. It's. I had an idea pop into my head this morning of is diversity inclusion uh, a narrative that is either competitive or comparative and you you raised a good point in terms of you've gone to Harvard University BU and ultimately you're you're the leader of the sports division and also the diversity division as of um, June this year and you were talking about well, it doesn't it doesn't separate me from the rest of the crowd. Can you explain what you mean by that? Absolutely. So um, there is a challenge and it's an inner dialogue challenge. And we'll go into inner dialogue and all that stuff a little bit later um, in our theories and beliefs, which really act as the source of our results. But um, there is that inner dialogue for some folks that are no longer uh, you know, in a disadvantaged state in their life that they're not equipped to really speak to uh, certain challenges that do exist for those who are uh, inside of those depressed conditions and those uh, challenged conditions. And uh, you know, what I was saying before we actually came on air is that um, 
Um, I disagree with that. I think uh, we're absolutely equipped because there is a shared experience and a commonality in experience that, you know, we can testify to. Uh, I, I was I was about to share with you, or then we pressed go, um, that I was driving, uh, this was some years back, I was driving down uh, the street in Manhattan uh, in New York City and um, passed a parking spot in, uh, during uh, rush hour, happy hour time. Uh, if, if you are from New York or, or even, you know, downtown London, I would imagine, right? During that time, if you pass a parking spot, that is prime real estate, okay? Um, so I, you know, I saw it, I backed into it, right? You know, parallel park. And then um, I see uh, police lights behind me. Whoop, whoop, whoop. And I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. Uh, and uh, they asked me, you know, license and registration. They asked me for my information. And I asked, um, absolutely, I'll give it to you. Uh, but what is it that I've done in order for you to request these things, in order for you to stop me? Um, and he said you were going the wrong way down a one-way street. Now, in order to parallel park, you have to go backwards, <laughs> right? Um, and it's a one-way street. So, And I said that. And the officer said, oh, you're trying to get smart? Are you trying to be a wise-ass? And I'm like, wait a minute. What? So understanding the experience you know, of being a Black man you know, in America and you know, in abroad, I'm imagining, um, I kept my hands, you know, on the steering wheel, no, you know, quick or sudden movements. Um, I made sure that I presented a non-threatening appearance, right? Because these are all the things that you have to focus on unfairly when you are in this position as a black man. And it didn't matter that I went to Harvard or BU or Kent or that, you know, I, you know, president of, of, of two divisions in an organization or none of that mattered in the moment because of the shared struggle and shared experience that is reflective of systemic inequality, oppression and racism. That it, it, that's just as simple as that. Right. And I was arrested that day, by the way. <laughs> I won't go deeper into the story, but it, it was it was crazy what I went through. And I'd like to say that, you know, I was arrested for being a black man driving a Mercedes Benz in Manhattan. <laughs> right? That that's why I was arrested. So um no matter what, uh I wouldn't want anyone to feel that they are no longer tethered to the uh experience as far as being in uh, a challenged circumstance, you know, whether it be financially or socially or anything like that, um, and have that impact your desire or your um, what you might believe your effectiveness would be in speaking to a challenge that exists for everyone. So even if you're not in that, even if you're a white person or anything like that, you still, if you feel so impassioned to do so, should speak to it. But absolutely, if you are a person of color or a person from a marginalized um, uh, group in society, uh, regardless of where you've ascended to in your life, you should absolutely feel uh, just as 
emboldened as anyone else to speak against that which you know is unfair and not right. Well, and I think where the police officer's gone wrong, you're taught on your test to to not park going forward into a space because you go up on the curb. If you'd have done that, you'd probably be pulled over as well. But so, so you see the dilemma, right? <laughs> it really wouldn't matter. In that moment, I was going to get pulled over no matter what because of, you know, the way uh, systemically um, unfairness is doled out in society. So what would be your view then, Tyreek, on sport? Because ultimately, sportsman to sportsman, we deem it as uh, just, transparent, uh, and all the things like that. But do you think this underlying racism in sports a little bit? So what I what what I'd like to get into in this space is uh, really DEI. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's a term, it's a, a catch term that everyone uses. DEI, DEI. But let's break it apart, right? Uh, let, let's really go into it. So diversity uh, is the presence of difference within a given setting, right? Diversity includes things like race, gender, um, uh, ethnicity, religion, nationality, sexual, sexual orientation, all of these different things, right? That's diversity. Equity is different. Equity is the guarantee of fair treatment and access and opportunity. I want want to stick a pin in the opportunity and access piece and equity. I'm going to stop there. I'm going to jump over and jump over to uh, inclusion. And inclusion uh, is really, um, really about bringing traditionally excluded uh, people or, or groups or individuals into processes, into activities, uh, decision. It's about making them feel um, wanted that they have uh, also have equal access. Um, it's about uh, including folks from with different identities inside of the establishment and making them feel heard and making them feel wanted and appreciated for their differences. Understanding that those differences bring about value. Right. But I'm going to go back to your question now. Now that I laid that out, I could go way deeper into that because I'm really passionate about that. But there are certain sports that are absolutely exclusive simply because of the barrier to entry because of finance. I grew up in the South Bronx, New York. Uh, the, the, The South Bronx is the poorest county in New York State. Right. Um, and it, it, I grew up under very challenged and com- depressed conditions. We were poor. We were on government assistance. There was a lot that, you know, my mom, um, and she was amazing in what she was able to do with so little with my, my, my three siblings and I literally, she was a superwoman, right? Um, but being able to, you know, join a a golf team, right? Uh, Or to play golf, uh, that was not anything that I could do. Being able to play hockey for the gear, unless the gear was gifted to me, wasn't going to happen. 
There was no way I could join a crew team and row <laughs> because I existed in a concrete jungle. Right? So there's exclusivity even inside sport. I wound up going to um, a boarding school, super, super elite uh, high school uh, in the States uh, called Kent. And amazing, amazing school opened my eyes to what actually exists out there. Uh, I had a roommate and he was, you know, flicking around this this stick with the net at the end and there was a ball in it. And I was like, what the hell is that? He was like, it's lacrosse. (laughs) I was like, what's that? Really? I'd never seen it or heard about it before, right? Because there's an exclusivity to that based on what your socioeconomic upbringing and experience and placement in society is. So to answer your question, it exists inside sport too. There are certain sports where you're just not going to see um, a, a, a high percentage of people from disadvantaged experiences, neighborhoods, and environments. Just not going to happen. So do you think from my perspective, because when people have asked me, and this is why I asked you the question, did I ever see racism within sport? And I come from middle-class suburbia. It's and I've been brought up by my mother's side of the family. Why? So to give some context, probably where I don't see the struggle or adversity because probably deep down for me, it's probably the truth. I'm a, I'm a white man in a, in a black man's body, but, and ultimately some coaches have used it to fuel it in a different way as to use uh, national identity, which is a form of racism here because people will use derogatory terms uh, unnecessarily sometimes um, to, to get their point. It was actually, one of them was actually trending on Twitter yesterday, which, uh, you kind of see where people's minds were in the gutter kind of say, well, okay, I don't need really to read past that feed. I know exactly what that's about uh, right. and I'll leave that alone. But for me, I probably had enormous amount of opportunities uh, and, and probably because of my parents being in the forces as well. And we were discussing this actually today of what kind of environment that is probably like a melting pot because there's, multiculturalism there's mixed mixed race is is not looked down upon it's it's normalized it's like well your your mother might happen to be asian white black whatever you are viewed as you because we are ultimately in that evolutionary cycle of every three to five years you're moving so you're having to re-establish new friendships uh, new clicks and things like that. So you're all in the same predicament when you start off with the ball. I've got to get to know people again and we're in a similar position. So I think for me, it gives me a different sense to to the argument. And yes, I, I, I did crew, but later on, uh, and I'd never seen it other than on television of Oxford and Cambridge, which is, putting it on another pedestal on another level of those institutions right are world renowned with harvard yale 
Brown and, and the Ivy League schools. Ultimately, I've, I, I've probably offended a few of them because I've not named all of them. <laughs> but I think they could. Uh, there's probably too many to, to to name. But ultimately, you just mentioned those two institutions. Your social your social status elevates, and if you happen to go to one of those, it opens doors. So absolutely. I think what you, you talk about of well, the sports even I did, swimming, not predominantly, well, it's not predominantly, it is predominantly a white sport. You are seeing little sprinkles of other races come into the fore. And I think the Asians have started to do very much, you know, like blacks did in track and field. They are now finding a, a, a position to find a foothold in something that was once upon a time, you know, out on out, 100 meter, 100 meter dash. Most, you would probably say all the finest would be black. Whereas now you're starting to see Asians because they are, I don't say more hungry, but I guess it may be a little bit more doggedness and determination of yesteryear that some athletes maybe have lost. Um, because of circumstances of once they make it to the collegiate level, and I pretty much get better and better, I'm financially sound, and maybe take the foot off the gas. Whereas with them, maybe because historically they are deemed to, you know, have to go be a doctor, an engineer, uh, and those professions, you know, very much like the a- Africans have got a similar way of thinking. You, if you don't go into these fields of employment I won't go as far as disownment but some possibly would it's like well you're not really my son because you've not gone into those those boxes but I think where that puts a limiting position on a person well what why does the person have the opportunity why didn't they have the choice because ultimately if you don't like what you do long term and this is where you know the jargon of people hating hating their jobs I would probably and you probably agree with this it's not the job that they hate it's the circumstance within it that's the problem so I'd look at that look at it a little different and even um as you were speaking to you know you know the shift and um the uh the equity actually, um, inside of racing and other sports. I'd be careful uh, not to miss, you know, uh, know, characterize anything or, you know, because there's lots of different factors. And inside of that, as soon as we begin to characterize it, our unconscious bias will jump in and fill gaps where we, you know, might not have all the information we know and that that we need in the moment. And that's just how the human brain works and why the human brain is absolutely just this incredible machine because it, you know, it, it, it takes in all of this information, millions and millions and millions of data points per, uh, per second sub, uh, unconsciously, um, yet consciously we can only process 40 of these data points per second. So unconsciously what's happening is our brain is connecting dots and doing all of that, which leads to, uh, you know, us making those type of assumptions and things of that nature. So that's always one thing uh, to be aware of. Um, But what I'll say is um, 
where where people come into a place of dissatisfaction is when they're really not living to their dream, right? So um, I, you know, even before I became an executive, I was a coach with the Hendel Group. And just, you know, know, for your audience, you know, the Hendel Group is one of the largest executive life coaching firms in the world, right? And um, one thing that we know for sure is that happy people are people who are well-connected to their dreams, right? Um, And, yeah, when you're operating inside of your dream and really going after that, we call it authoring. We call it authoring. You know you're authoring any area in your life where these three things are present, where you're happy, you're proud, and you're effective. Happy, proud, effective. Okay, we call it authoring because this is when you put the pen to the pad and you write the way the story goes. Right? You don't let anyone else, mom, dad, society, anybody else write that story for you. You write it yourself. And when you look back and read that story, that's where the pride emerges. Okay, When someone else or something else or society else or whatever else is writing your story, you're not proud of it. That's where that dissatisfaction comes from. And that's where you come to this realization, I'm not living my dream. And that's really how it works. So one thing I do as an executive coach, whether it's with my athletes or whether it's with my high-level executives, I get you to redefine your dream. Because the thing is, you know, I always tell my clients, the, the best people at dreaming, I ask them, who's the best, who are the best people at dreaming? They name all these other, you know, artists or whatever, whoever they name. And I'm like, nope, nope, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. <laughs> and then I say, you know who's the best people at dreaming? Kids. Kids are the best dreamers ever. You ask a six-year-old, what are you going to be when you grow up? I'm going to be an astronaut, and I'm going to build a spaceship, and I'm going to fly to the moon, and I'm going to build a house there, and it's going to be an amazing house. It's going to have all these incredible things, and I'm going to build a house for my mom and dad, and in the back, I'm going to have all of these things for my dad so he could build his cars and do his you know tools and all of that, and a garden in the back maybe for my mom so she could do her planting, and I guess I should build something for my sister too, but she's really annoying, so I'm going to build it like a mile away. Like They'll go into that level of detail inside of their dream. And there's nothing you can tell them to make them believe their dream won't happen. That's why, you know, non-coincident, coincidentally, you know, the greatest uh, period of growth for humans is from like zero to like 11 or 12, right? Because you're dreaming, you're staying in that dream state and you're going after it. And then all of a sudden, Something that I like to call the dirty R word sets in. Reality. And reality is composed of, you know, all of your, uh, what you might deem as failures, your letdowns, your disappointments, right? Things that haven't, you know, exactly gone the way you wanted them to go. And now you start to pull back on your dream. Out of, uh, you know, as a self-defense mechanism, so not to be hurt by the letdown. And now, 
even if I ask you to dream today, you can't really do it that well. Because even when you dream right now, your dream is tethered to your reality. So the first thing I do inside of my coaching, I reattach you to your dream. I get you back focused on what the dream is. And when I say dream, I never want people to uh, confuse it with like fantasy, like rainbows and pots of gold, (laughs) like unicorns. (laughs) No, nothing like that. All a dream is, is a designed result. That's all it is. A designed result. So I get you back to creating that designed result. And once we get there, I said, great. Now I'm going to partner with you to create an action plan to bring that to fruition. But in order to do that, we have to remove all the pollution in our minds. That's really the problem. Right. What we know for sure is that, you know, actions produce results. Remember, dream a design result. Your actions are driven by your inner dialogue. We've identified three main voices in your inner dialogue. It's the voice of fear that we, we call it the chicken. There's another one we call the brat. And it's the voice of stubborn, stubbornness and entitlement, like a little 13-year-old brat. Like, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do it that way. I want to do it my way. Why should I have to do it that way? That's When we have those types of thoughts in our head, that's our brat talking. And then we have another voice called the weather reporter. And that's the voice of the victim. And it's just like the weather reporter on TV. It's hot outside. It's cold outside. It's raining. It's snowing. They're just reporting on what's going on out there, but they're not having an impact on it. So when you're in a weather reporting mode, you're putting yourself at the mercy of the conditions and the circumstances around you that prevents you, in your mind, from having that which you desire. Whenever you say, yeah, I would do this, but... A weather report is about to come after that. (laughs) Right? And what we do, and this takes us back to what we talked about earlier, we teach you how to author, which is the opposite of weather reporting. Right? So that's a lot of, you know, how I approach folks who are struggling inside of weather, inside of their sport, you know, and they're unhappy, you know, what's going on inside of their sport, inside of their careers, right? Their executive careers or whatever they're doing in their career, inside relationships, families, right? With their health, fitness, emotional health, mental health. I help them by having them understand these things. And then building out what's necessary to overcome them. I give you tools. I teach you how to use the tools. And then I work with you. I partner with you to make it happen. And at the source of all of this, three main things, right? 
Your beliefs, your theories, and your traits, we call that the source of all results. Beliefs, theories, and traits. Beliefs are hard-packed assumptions. They exist passively in our minds. The thing about a belief, if you believe it, you will prove it. Guaranteed. Guaranteed, right? If I believe, James, have you ever believed Today's going to be an awful day. This is going to be an awful meeting. And it was great. No, it's typically awful. That's typically how it goes, right? Oh, this is, you know, this is never going to work out for me. Guess what? Turns out not working for you. Because what we do is we gather evidence to prove what we believe. We'll figure out how to prove it because it's our personal law. what, What I show you how to do is to identify the beliefs that aren't in concert with the results that you want to produce. Because how this whole thing works, beliefs, theories, and beliefs, theories, and traits inform your inner dialogue. It triggers one of those three voices, right? Your your chicken, your bread, or your weather report. That inner dialogue drives your actions. Those actions produce your result. Okay? So what we're trying to do in this whole thing is to identify what's the source. And then once we identify the source, we zoom in on it, and then we do what's necessary to eradicate it, right? Theories are similar to beliefs. Theories um, haven't crystallized into a belief yet, right? Uh, Theories operate in more of a hypothesis uh, state, right? If X, then Y, right? If I have this conversation uh, with my coach, uh, then I'm going to end up in his doghouse. That's a terrible theory, right? Because what that's going to have you do is silence yourself and, you know, commit to a state of of dissatisfaction because you're not being hurt, right? So remember, I told you the source informs your inner dialogue. It triggers, it always triggers one of those three voices. That theory that I just said, gave you, if I talk to my coach about, you know, something that I had on my mind, then I'll end up in his doghouse. That's going to trigger one of the voices. It's going to trigger your chicken. Your chicken, one of the main things your chicken does is it helps you avoid stuff going to avoid having that conversation. Oh, he looks really busy. I shouldn't bother him. <laughs> I have all these other things to do. I need, I, I'll do them first and maybe talk to him later. Later never comes. <laughs> so what happens then, your chicken takes over. It drives your action. Actions consist of what we do, what we don't do, and oftentimes how we do it, right? Right, the most important one, right? So This chicken will create an inaction. You won't do anything. You won't have the conversation. You'll avoid it. And that will create a result. That result will be dissatisfaction with the coach, disharmony with the team. Right? And that's just one example of tons and tons of examples, right? So, yeah, what I do is help you identify that. So now, what we do people, we gather lots and lots of evidence to say, see, my theory is true, my theory is true, my theory is true. 
And then it elevates and crystallizes into a belief. Now that's my personal law. And that's how it works. That's how it works. Now, the third piece of the source is our uh, our traits. Yeah. And, you know, traits are typically handed down from your primary caregivers. You know, as you know, mom, dad, maybe you were, you know, you grew up with grandma or whoever. Right. And if you look closely enough and investigate their traits, you'll find yours as well. Tell you what, James, my mom was really stubborn. I'm a really stubborn man, James. That one went right through, right? Then sometimes our traits are a reaction to our parents' traits. So what happens is I have a client and, um, you know, his father was really loud and, uh, and, 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 and bold and, you know, he had a big personality. When he walked into a room, you knew he was there. My client's trait, he's an introvert. You're like, wait a minute, but his dad doesn't sound like an introvert. This is what happened. Every time his dad walked in a room that he was in, my client got a little smaller and a little bit smaller and a little bit smaller. And eventually, you know, introversion took over. So his trait was still a function of his dad's trait. And what we need to do, and this is what a lot of what I work with my clients to do, is help you take down these traits. And I have tons of tools to help you take down these traits, right? Because let's say I have, you know, a stubbornness trait as an athlete, that's not really going to work out because that stubbornness is going to inform my inner dialogue. The coach wants me to do that. I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that. I've been, I've been successful doing it this way ever since I was a kid. Why he wanted me to switch my form? <laughs> Why he No, I'm not doing it. No. Then all of a sudden, Remember, that's your inner dive. That That's that brat voice. Okay? That's going to drive an action. You're going to talk back to the coach. You're going to provide resistance to him. You're going to, or her, you're going to um, really be a challenge to the coach. And that's going to produce a result. You're not going to be who you were meant to be. Your dream that you had to be this high-level athlete, that dream is now deferred. Why? Because you never leashed that trait all the way in the beginning. You never leashed that stubborn, stubborn trait. So you never realized your dream. Now you're sitting in a state of dissatisfaction. You're saying, I wish I should, I wish I would have, I, I knew I could have, I had enough talent to, I, I, right? You've heard that a million times I've heard. I know, I'm sure. You know, you are a very high level athlete. I probably said it. I probably said it a few times as well. 
<laughs> I didn't want to say that personally. I, I, I'll let you say that. I was just going to say that you heard it from a from a, a teammate or a friend or something. Oh, it's, 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 I think I guess people can accept that that's me being honest. It's 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 me being transparent. Right. I, I've been I've been right. in similar situation of exactly some of those traits. I've been I've been the bigger person eventually as well. It's not getting me anywhere. What have I got to lose by by going against my own traits? And I soon learned to communicate better, thus reap the reward. So what you were able to do is leash that trait. That's like a superpower, by the way. <laughs> I just want to let you know, kudos to you. That's you have a superpower. Because the large majority of our population, human population, can't do that. You know what a large majority of our population says? Well, that's just that's just how I am. This is just who I am. This, my, my mom is like this. My dad is like this. I, you know, my whole family's like this. That's what a lot of people say, and they don't know that they can do something about it. So I helped them do something about it. So that they can achieve their dreams. So, Tyreek, where does integrity come into play with all that? Then I love it. Thank you for asking that question. So, um, when you're not going after your dream, you're really not in integrity. I'm going to define integrity in a second. Oftentimes, what's preventing you from getting to your dream is an integrity problem. So let me define integrity, you know, our definition for integrity. Um, integrity is when your head, your heart, and your actions all align with your highest values. It's when you keep the promises that you make to yourself and you make to others. Right. So let's say that um, we'll stay in the athletic space since you know that's where we've been. Let's say that I'm trying to be this high level athlete. Doesn't matter the sport, really. And taking care of my body is a big part of that. Yet I'm eating an entire pizza pie every night. I'm out of integrity. And this is a really simplified you know, example I'm using, um, but I'm doing it for a reason because I think it's going to push forward the point. Remember, integrity, head, heart, actions align with your highest value. My highest value for my body is to be in good physical shape, um, to, make, to, to exercise, uh, to um, you know, eat well and take care of my temple. That's my highest value. If I'm eating an entire pizza pie every night, that doesn't align with my highest value. My action doesn't align with my highest value. So it takes me out of integrity. Once I'm out of integrity, the results will show. The results will show. If you're in a relationship, you know, uh, and, and you're treating your partner poorly. You're talking to them poorly. 
you're out of integrity and the results will show in your relationship. If you're, you know, at work, whatever career you're in, and you keep cutting corners, you keep trying to take, you know, you know the shortcut somewhere instead of doing the work necessary to really build out a, a wonderful product. You're out of integrity and the results will show. So one way to get in, get you inside of integrity, one of the tools that we use is we call it promises and consequences, right? So, you know, we're running short on time, but basically um, a promise is an action step towards your dream, right? So if my dream is to be in very good physical shape, my promise may be that I'm going to go to the gym every Monday, Tuesday, and every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday and work out for 60 minutes, no less. Because your promises have to be airtight because we'll figure a way to weasel our way around promises. That's just what we do, right? That's your promise. And if you keep your promise, if you remain in integrity, you'll hit your dream. You'll get to the result. Remember, dream is a designed result. Okay, now, unfortunately, you know, we would love to always believe that we're going to keep our promises. Every now and then we need something to keep us accountable to being in integrity. And that's where consequences come. In. So consequences um, act as, you know, our way of um, of uh, integrating our vision, what we want to make happen. With our behaviors, right? Sometimes our behaviors are not consistent with our vision. And consequences get you uh, inside of that. So uh, one of the consequences that uh, I had, I personally have, for not going to the gym and working out is um, if I am not, if I uh, miss the gym, if I promise I'm going to go to the gym on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and I don't go on Monday, let's say I go on Tuesday, did I break the promise? Hmm. Yes. yes and no. No, there's no no. Yes, I promise Monday. The promise is Monday. If I don't go, even if I go on Tuesday, I broke the promise on Monday. They have to be airtight. Because what will happen is I'll say, oh, I'll just go on Tuesday. And you know what happens on Tuesday? Something pops up. So I don't go on Tuesday. And then it's Wednesday. And then it's next week. And then it's next month. And I get to the end of the year. And I'm very frustrated with my results that I've had this year. That's because I was out of integrity with my promise in the first place. So I have a consequence. And that consequence keeps me integrity with the promise. So my consequence is, I have a few different consequences. But my consequence for this one is, if I don't get to the gym and uh, mine is by 7 a.m., I have to eat okra. I hate okra. For every meal of the day. Oof. Oh, no, it's awful. It's awful. And I broke it one time. And yeah, it was the worst day of my life, right? Because you have to have someone to hold you accountable, right? And that, you know, make sure that person doesn't mind seeing you cry. But no, I don't want to. Nope, they don't care about seeing your tears. You're going to eat the okra, right? So I ate the okra and I never broke the promise ever again after that because the consequence kept me in integrity for keeping my promise. And I've got two final questions. Uh, I've got to ask of you before I know you have to shoot is 
my penultimate question to you that I like to ask everybody, Tyreek, is if you had to sit down with any athlete, dead or alive, who would that be and why? Any athlete, dead or alive, uh, Muhammad Ali. Uh, and uh, the reason I would want to sit down with him, he made the most amazing sacrifice of the prime of his career to stand on top of his integrity, to stand up what stand for what he believed in. And I would just want to have that conversation with him about what it took, the intestinal fortitude that it took for him to stand on top of his beliefs like that. So that would be my effort. And my final question before we wrap up the episode is if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about today into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? Everyone should make sure you connect yourself to your dream. Connect yourself to what it is you're trying to do. Be an author in your life. You write the way the story goes. And what's going to allow you to do that is staying in integrity. So once again, Tariq, thanks again for coming on the Mindset Athlete Podcast. Thank you for having me, James. It's been my absolute pleasure. And I've actually learned a lot of things that I need to go away and work on myself. So I really appreciate that. Absolutely. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and do let Tyreek, the Handle Group, and myself know what you thought of the episode by tagging us over on Instagram at Handle Group. So that's H-A-N-D-E-L-G-R-O-U-P and at the usual at James O. Roberts 11. Again, I'll spell that out for you. That's J-A-M-E-S, the letter O, R-O-B, E-R-T-S and the number 11. And again, you can do the same on Twitter and Facebook. And in addition, if you had any follow-up questions, don't hesitate to shoot them over as well. And finally, don't forget to check out Handel's website, www.handelgroup.com. So that's www.handelgroup.com. And as always, don't forget to check out my free content at fitambutee.co.uk and click on the tab resources. But not forgetting, I've also started a new Facebook group, especially for the podcast, which you can find by typing in the Mindset Athlete. And a special one, especially for this episode, Tyreek has included a free gift for any listener that tunes into this episode, which will be available in the unit section of my group, The Mindset Athlete. So do go check that out by typing The Mindset Athlete over on Facebook. All the links will be in the description. You can find all the show notes at mindsetgame.lipsyn.com under the category general. So once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next week for another episode of The Mindset Athlete Podcast.